and the rest of us, we're going to be looking at just a tremendous subject tonight. We're going through the names of God, and as I say every week, if you want to move forward closer, you can. You don't have to. But uh, if you're going to move around, do it now or forever hold your seat. Okay? How many of you are ready to get into the Word of God? Amen. So am I. Let's, uh, I'm going to get you to stand with me and we're, we're going to read where Je- Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah is peace, where it first appeared, when it first appeared in the Bible. And it's in Judges 6, verse 24. Let's read it, can we? Then Gideon built an altar to Jehovah and called it Jehovah Shalom, which means Jehovah is peace. Father, I thank you that you are peace. And Lord, we really want to walk in your peace. And I thank you, Lord, that as we know the truth, it sets us free. And when we know what you've given us, then we know, Lord, what we have. And thank you for Jehovah's peace. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. If you love peace, say amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Are y'all cold? Can we turn the AC off, Steve, Uh, if it's on? Okay, thank you. All right. I just feel it blowing, and some of y'all are looking pretty cold. And I like like fervent Christianity, and y'all are God's frozen chosen looking at me. All right. Then, uh, now, let's, let's look at this tonight, and I want to recap because we've gone far enough in this series now. We need to remember from whence we have come. So here we go. <laughs> he put on his hat. I'm sorry. I couldn't help but noticing. <laughs> that's, that's Todd over there. No, Matt and Angie Gilbert. And I'm sorry, y'all. I had a digression right there, and he put that hat on, but it is cold in here. Now, We have looked at eight of the names of God revealed in Scripture. And let's say them together, can we? Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophi, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Makedesh. We've pointed out that the revealed names of God follow a purpose and a progression. It's sort of an ongoing unfolding of the character and the attributes of God. And they, these names, as God revealed them in time, were designed to meet the developing spiritual life and the need of the people. Now, I've told you over and over again, and I'll just say it again tonight, that God is not discovered. He's not found. He's revealed. He reveals Himself. We don't wake up with a brilliant idea to go find Him. God woos us towards him, and he reveals himself. And the only reason we know what we know about God is this book that you hold in your hand. Without the revelations of this book, we wouldn't have much of a clue at all about the real God because our own fallen nature would twist and skew our ability to perceive him. You know, if you've got a cataract in your eyes, you can't see what's out there. Everything is hazy, foggy, um, not the way that it really is when you have a clear lens. And we don't have clear lenses. We don't have them. The Bible says we're fallen in our sins. Now we're redeemed, but we're still being restored to a Christ-like condition. 
We are by no means perfect. And guess what? If you live to be 120, you still won't be. Perfection will only come when he comes again or when we go to him. So we, we don't have clear lenses spiritually to see what we need to see. It's all clouded. Even Paul the Apostle, who wrote two-thirds of this Bible, said, we see through a glass darkly. That's a perfect picture of a cataract. We see through a clouded lens. And so we've got to have somebody tell us the way it really is. And the Bible tells us the way God really is, or we'd never know it. Now these names were the vehicle by which God revealed aspects of his character. That's why they're so important, these names. Because when, when we read about Jehovah Rophi or Jehovah Makedesh, our sanctifier, or Jehovah Jireh, our provider, we go, wow, I'd have never known that about God. And when I hear that, it builds my faith and my ability to go to God in prayer and expect certain things from him because of what he's told me about him. If I didn't know anything about him, I wouldn't know what he'd be willing to give to me or not. I wouldn't know how to appeal to him. So the more we know about him, the better off we are. Amen? So these names that he revealed through time, over centuries of time, uh, were progressive. One led to the other, which led to the other, which led to the other. We're going to see that tonight. But this time, for the ninth week and the ninth name, we're going to look at Jehovah Shalom. And it means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Now, let's look at the context for, for the appearance of this name in the Bible. Uh, it takes us to a defeated, discouraged Israel at the time of the book of Judges. And it's been more than 200 years since Jehovah revealed himself to his people as Jehovah Makedesh, which we looked at last week. And what is Makedesh? The Lord who sanctifies, who sets us apart for a special purpose for himself. That's Jehovah Makedesh. And boy, I, I barely scratched the surface of that. There's so much we could say about sanctification and your life and my life. But moving on, it's been 200 years or so since God revealed himself as the sanctifier. And now Joshua has long since died. The land of promise has been conquered and divided among the 12 tribes. They all had their little hacienda and they had their acreage and they, they got the promised land. But guess what? There's no national unity. There's no central government and there's no national worship. Even though they got the promised land, they're not living promised land living on the inside. The Bible says that it was a period in which every man did what was right in his own eyes. Do you know what another word for that is? Political correctness. Don't you tell me your truth. Your truth is your truth. Mine is mine. I'll do what I want. You do what you want. Can't we all just get along? There is no right. There is no wrong. It's what you deem right or wrong that gives you your right and wrong. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's political correctness in the days of the judges. And it's killing us. It's, it's going to bring America down if there's not a revival. It's going to bring it on down. It's, just, it's going to be the end. Because we can't even tell an 11-year-old child now in school, 
you shouldn't be having sex where we've got to give you a birth control pill and we can't even tell their parents now. That's crazy. That's insanity. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it Life in the Asylum. Because we are, we are living in an insane asylum because of political correctness. Well, here we go. As is typical of people, when Joshua died, who had served as their leader in their national conscience, they began to turn to the gods of the peoples around them. That's what people do. You take out the strong leader and they go down. A new generation arose which forgot his who as Jehovah Jireh had provided redemption from bondage in Egypt. They forgot Jehovah Jireh who redeemed them through the blood of the Lamb and led them out with great and mighty wonders. This new generation forgot it. They didn't know anything about it. And the parents had not taught them well because they had let it slip. So now there's a generation that has no concept or memory of the one who redeemed them, the one who healed them, the one who sanctified them. I was listening to Ron Luce, uh, probably the most, uh, the best known uh, youth leader of our day. And he said, the generation coming up under us right now, I forget what they're called, Gen Xers, something underneath them. I forget the exact title. But he said, here's the deal. He said, only 5% of them believe in Christ. Only 5% of them believe in God. When you go down every generation, baby boomers, baby busters, Gen Xers, and on down, every generation you get, that gets further away from the baby boomers believes less in Christ, less in God, and is less in church. So that what you've got is 5% of the generation that's going to eventually take over our culture, only 5% believe in Christ. They are the most crucial target audience for the gospel in our day. Because once the baby boomers age and die off, there's not going to be anybody to occupy the churches. That's what had happened here. They had not passed down the faith of the fathers, and now you had a whole generation that totally forgot of who God was and what he had revealed himself to be. They were no longer mindful of the God who, as Jehovah Rophi, had healed their sicknesses and sorrows. They suffered many defeats because they turned their backs on Jehovah Nissi, their banner of victory and trial and struggle. And they would not sanctify themselves to him who, as Jehovah Makedesh, had set them apart for his cause. Consequently, they lost their purity, their peace, their prosperity, and their liberty. And that's exactly what happens. If you forget God, that's exactly what you're going to lose. Your purity goes, with your purity goes your peace. With your peace goes your prosperity, and with your prosperity goes your liberty. That whole culture will come down. With no common sense of vision and purpose, Israel became easy prey to the appetites and the lusts of the flesh. The book of Judges paints a grim portrait of a people locked in an endless cycle of apostasy, subsequent rescue from God, more apostasy, and more rescue from God, in the person of varying judges raised up to deliver them. 
It was a sad period of alternating prosperity and adversity, of sinning and repenting, of slavery and deliverance. And they were back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. All the book of Judges reveals to us is a people chronically backsliding. God raises up a judge. He judges them. He convinces them that God's with him or her. Deborah happened to be a judge. And, and uh, uh, they believe it. And they, they go, as long as that judge lives, they're there. But as soon as the judge dies off, down they go again. Back into apostasy. Back into worshiping the gods of the foreign cultures around them. I see so many parallels with our country when I study the book of Judges. And yet I believe there's hope. There's hope with revival. But it ain't going to happen unless preachers get in the pulpits and start preaching the Word of God again. It's not going to happen. You've got to preach the blood. You've got to preach repentance. You've got to preach one way to salvation. You've got to preach Jesus up and preach the devil down. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to stand up and unashamedly and unabashedly declare this book, thus says the Lord. If preachers all over the country don't do that, political correctness is going to take us down. Every man is already doing what's right in his own eyes, and that's considered sane. And if you have convictions, you're considered insane. We're flying upside down. All right, now let's look at what happened here. A young man named Gideon lived during a time in the book of Judges of severe oppression by a hostile people called the Midianites. The Midianites, here's what they would do. They would come up with great hordes of men and of cattle and eat up the land, destroying what they could not devour and leaving them neither sustenance, tools, nor cattle. They would grow great fields of wheat and barley and, and all the things they needed to survive, but these Midianites would bring in their cattle and themselves and like a big uh, horde of locusts would chew up everything and destroy everything they had grown. They were being plundered all the time by these people. So they were beaten down, they, they, they were uh, uh, humiliated, they were degraded, and they felt like, well, if there's anybody who God is not with, it's us. They'd lost their self-respect. Now, an angel appeared at this time of national humiliation and desperation. It was at this time that an angel appeared to Gideon while he was threshing wheat. <clears throat> and the angel promised deliverance for Israel. After some doubt, Gideon rose to the challenge to be God's instrument of deliverance and you probably know the story, and I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But when the angel came to him and said, I'm going to use you to, to deliver Israel, and Gideon finally believed him, Gideon built an altar to the Lord, which he called Jehovah Shalom, in confident anticipation of the victory of God to overthrow the Midianites and get their nation back out from under oppression. Now, we don't see Jehovah Shalom till right here. This is the first appearance in the Old Testament in the whole Bible. Now, let me talk to you about Shalom. This word is so rich. And you know I'm a word guy. I love words. I think, you know, different things excite different people. I, I'm, I get excited over parsing a verb. I really do. I think words, and especially Bible words. Oh, man, Bible words. 
So you take a word like shalom, and it's got various shades of meaning in Scripture. And let me just share some of them with you. Can you say with me, Jehovah Shalom? We're talking about the names of God. This is the ninth name that we've looked at, Jehovah Shalom, a covenant name. Now, the word shalom can mean whole, W-H-O-L-E, as in Deuteronomy 27, 6, where it says, quote, you shall build the altar of Jehovah your God of whole stones. Well, that's the word shalem. It's a derivative of shalom, okay? So it can mean whole, W-H-O-L-E, to be complete, to be sound. It also means finished. Shalom can also mean finished, as found in Daniel 5, 26, where it says, quote, God has measured your kingdom and finished it. Shalom. He has finished it. And that was not a word they wanted to hear. Remember the handwriting on the wall? And that was the end of the kingdom. It says that Solomon finished the temple, shalom, in 1 Kings 9.25. So the word means, so far, whole, complete, sound, perfect. Jehovah shalom. Jehovah who is whole, complete, sound, and perfect. Just reading those words makes me want to have peace. All right, Jehovah Shalom. Now, in the physical and the material sense of wholeness or completeness, uh, the word is translated as welfare or well. It's like to be well off, well. Joseph asked of his brothers if his father was well. Shalom. Is our father Shalom? Is he well? In another place, Joab uh, asked Amasa, are you in health, shalom, my brother? Are you in shalom, my brother? So that if I said to you in the Old Testament, shalom, I'm speaking over you a major blessing, completeness, wholeness, perfection, soundness, health, wellness. It's a beautiful, rich word, but we're not done yet. It's also used to refer to vows or obligations, especially when it comes to the Lord. The psalmist says, pay, and believe it or not, pay is translated from shalom, shalom. Pay your vows to the Most High. So shalom can have a sense of, I need to give to God what I've told him I would give him. About 20 times in the Bible, it's translated as the word perfect, shalom, perfect. David prayed to God saying, give to Solomon, my son, a perfect shalom heart. Give him a perfect heart. The more I read these words, you got to see there's way more to peace than just feeling good. Amen? Now look at this. And Solomon echoed this in his own exhortation to the people when the house of the Lord was perfected. He said, quote, let your heart therefore be perfect, shalem, perfect, with Jehovah our God. That is, and this is key, and I want you to catch this, that's why I underlined it, let your heart be in wholeness 
or in harmony with God. It's not just having a peaceful feeling. Shalom, a peaceful feeling, is the result of your heart being in wholeness or in harmony or right with God. Peace is the byproduct of shalom. And we're going to see you can't have peace without this right here. You will never have real peace until your heart is right with God. You're not going to have it. Now, this is the key to all the various translations of this one Hebrew word. Here it is. Can we read it together? A harmony of relationship or a reconciliation based upon the completion of a transaction, the payment of a debt, or the giving of something satisfactory. Shalom, Jehovah Shalom. Shalom expresses the deepest desire and the need of the human heart. I'm more convinced of that at 54 years old than I've ever been in my life. I'm convinced the reason people snort it, smoke it, shoot it, and drink it is because they're looking for what they can only find when they get their heart right with God, Jehovah Shalom. They know something's missing, they just don't know what it is. So they look for things that kill them they, they turn to the wrong things with a right need. This word, shalom, was to characterize the reign of the Messiah. One of the great names of Messiah, Jesus Christ, is Prince of Peace, shalom. Isaiah 9, 6 says that. And Jerusalem, Messiah's city, means city of peace or possession of peace. And finally, shalom is the word used in peace offering. Let's look at that just for a second. The peace offering was one of the blood sacrifices of which the shed blood was the atonement on which reconciliation and peace were based. So the peace offering, shalom, was offered in the Old Testament. It was the only way and the best way they had to get their lives right with God. They did not have the precious blood of the Lamb. They only had a foretaste of what was coming. The various shades of meaning contained in shalom all indicate that every blessing, both temporal and spiritual, is included when we are restored to peace with God, which was lost in the fall. Now catch that. So that means wholeness, completeness, perfection or maturity, soundness, health, wellness, all of those shades of meaning are wrapped up in that one word, shalom. Boy, I like that. So anytime you want to shalom me, go right ahead. Shalom, Pastor Jeff. I'll receive it. All right? Now, what is this, the source of shalom? Where, where can you get it? You can only get it one place, and that's Jehovah. Can you believe that, that God actually called himself or said, my name is Jehovah your peace. Your peace. The Bible teaches that Jehovah is perfect peace. Well, I love that. He's called the God of peace. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. While the world is filled with a level of sin that grieves his heart, God's peace is never disturbed, not ever. He can be angry, he can be grieved, he can be all those things, but his peace 
is never disturbed. He can give to us His peace because His peace is perfect and unfailing. You know, I learned a long time ago, you can't give what you don't have. <laughs> you can only dispense with somebody else what you have. If you don't have it, you can act like you have it, but you can't dispense it. God is perfect peace. So He dispenses peace. Amen? Now, God's thoughts towards us are for peace. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I sign most of my books with this verse now. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Jehovah, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God wants peace for you. He wants peace to rule your heart. He wants peace to mark your life. Peace is one of the, the aspects of the single fruit of the Spirit. Peace. And God wants it for you. And look, his thoughts are full of peace towards you. He's thinking about how to get peace to you. Amen. God longs for us to walk in his peace. He spoke to his people through the prophet Isaiah and said, Oh, that you had listened to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. If you had only listened to me. How many of you have ever seen this to be true with God? How many of you have ever said to yourself, Oh, how I wish I'd listened. The rest of you, you live somewhere else? Come on. We know God tells the truth, but we mess up sometimes. And what happens? We, we realize He was right. And when we get back to Him, we get His peace again. Okay? Now, He says uh, He desires that our nation, and this breaks my heart, that our nation would walk in His peace. God promises, if you walk in my statutes and do them, I will give peace in the land. I wish America would turn back. David the psalmist wrote, the Lord will bless his people with what, everybody? Peace. He will bless you with peace. And again, Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, you will ordain peace for us. The Bible even predicts that the future of Jerusalem is peace. Can you believe that? That war torn, ripped apart, blood shed all over the place, land has been marked for peace in the future. For thus says Jehovah, behold, I will extend peace to Jerusalem like a river. One day, the Lamb, as the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, is going to rule the world from Jerusalem. And then there will be peace like a river. Right now it's war-torn and bloody, uh, which has all been predicted in the Scriptures. But I want you to understand now as we go through this, what does God want for you? Is God out to get you? Is He out to just wait for you to slip up and make a mistake so He can swatch you, stomp on you, condemn you? Is He out to get you that way? No. Listen, He says, my thoughts towards you. I'm thinking all the time towards you. My desire for you is that you walk in wholeness maturity, soundness, health, wellness, shalom. That's my thoughts towards you. I'm thinking those things towards you. That's what I want to give you. And I saw today that in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, the height of the high priestly benediction of Jehovah with which Aaron and his sons were commanded to bless the people, says, Jehovah lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Jehovah lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace. Wouldn't that be great to hear that week to week when we ended services? Jehovah lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Isn't that a great blessing? Amen. The promise or the presence of God is peace. His presence brings peace. Now let's go back to Gideon for a minute. It was Jehovah himself who appeared to Gideon. This is powerful. And I never knew this until I ran across this. It was Jehovah himself who appeared to Gideon. For the angel of Jehovah of Judges 6.22 is addressed by Gideon in the same verse as this, quote, O Jehovah Elohim. Now we've seen what Elohim is. It's, it's one of the descriptions of God. And so is Jehovah. Those are two major names for God. And when Gideon saw this angel, he said, Oh, Jehovah Elohim. So this was not a typical angel. This was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ to God's people when they were really down. This was by far the most striking manifestation of Jehovah made in all of this struggling, chaotic period of the judges. Now I'm going to give you a spiritual nugget right now. Listen to this. A major manifestation of God is necessary to arrest a particularly evil course of mankind. If you're really headed down the wrong road, you can expect Jehovah, the Lord, is going to stand in front of you and speak loud and clear to you before you destroy yourself. Because they were about to destroy themselves. They were being destroyed by political correctness. That's what it was. It was taking them down, ruining them as a nation. And what happened? God didn't just send an angel to Gideon because they were about to go down. You know, I, I, I read something the other day. Um, help me here, Jesus. When a doctor has just visited a terminal patient, they'll go back to their little notebook and when they're walking away from the patient and they'll write down CTD. And it means circling the drain. And it's the idea of CTD means they're circling the drain. They're going down. It's just a matter of time. At this time in the book of Judges, they were CTD. They were circling the drain. Political correctness was destroying them. They, no, they couldn't judge anything anymore because every man did what was right in his own eyes. They were circling the drain. Now I'm going to tell you, America is CTD. America is circling the drain. It's just a matter of time. And if you have a brain and any spiritual discernment at all, you know this is true. It's CTD. Now, can it be saved? Well, God can do anything. But as long as political correctness reigns and we persecute anybody who believes uh, in truth as revealed in Scripture, and we have thrown God out of our schools and out of our homes and out of our lives and continue try, uh, to try uh, uh, you know, just, just viciously to get him out of our culture, we're CTD. You can't kick God out and not be CTD. So that's what they were here in, in this particular time in Israel's history. And when you're CTD, you can be CTD as an individual or CTD as a nation. 
And when you're CTD, God will usually send a strong visit where he'll say, you are CTD. Turn before you're... Now, so I see this to be a truth in all of world history, anywhere you want to go, far back as you want to go. When a culture is CTD, uh, it's pretty hard to pull out, pretty hard to pull out. At this point in time, Israel was racing toward a final crisis. Hence, God reveals himself in a dramatic fashion. Everybody with me? Well, y'all are, I know that was a strong word, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was not a jump up and shout word. But don't we need to get down to it and, and give a, a, an accurate diagnosis of our culture now? Our culture is CTD. There's hope if God sends revival. Now remember, God reveals himself according to the need of the hour. Let's, let's go back to the names now. In the book of Leviticus, he's revealed as Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, because this was the need of Israel at that time. They'd been redeemed, and they needed to learn the concept of sanctification. So he appears as Jehovah Makedesh. But now Israel is buffeted and tormented with enemies from every side. Nothing is more characteristic of the book of Judges than its chaotic restlessness, insecurity, and fear. The greatest robbers of peace were ruling the land in Gideon's day. Hence, Jehovah manifested himself as the Lord is peace. The Lord is with you, he said to Gideon, and this is what your nation needs now. Now, here's the key. Israel knew no peace because it no longer knew God's presence. That's why. And they didn't know his presence because they weren't walking with him. Here's another spiritual nugget for you. God is with those who are with him. Look what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 15 too. Jehovah is with you, the Bible says, while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And that's what we call in theology a conditional promise. It's conditional. I'm going to be with you if. Anytime you see an if in a promise, it's a conditional promise. If you walk with him, he will be with you. If you walk with him, he'll fight for you. If you walk with him, he will carry you. But if you forsake him, the promise goes the other way. Okay? All right. Boy, y'all are quiet tonight. Pastor Jeff, this is heavy stuff, man. I love these names. Watch this now. The Bible teaches that there is zero peace to the wicked. Isaiah says, there is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. In fact, the root idea of the word wicked is restlessness. Restlessness is the root idea of the word wicked. The title of Jehovah Shalom promises that there is perfect peace to those who know him first as Jehovah Makedesh. Now, I'm going somewhere here. This is, this is really where all this is going to hang on. Watch this. There is no peace. You're not going to know God's peace or Jehovah Shalom unless you have known him first as Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. I want you to notice the progression. This is very interesting. Watch this. Notice the progression of God's covenant names and how they dovetail. 
The first covenant name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, deals with our redemption from sin. The second name, Jehovah Rophi, the Lord our healer, deals with the restoration of our souls from sin's effects. The third name, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, deals with our separation from sin and the world. Redeemed, amen, redeemed, healed, sanctified. Redeemed, restored, sanctified. Now Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, deals with our experiencing firsthand the peace of Jehovah. One leads to the next, which then leads to the next in a logical sequence. You can't have one without the other. This is exactly the way your redemption and your life has gone. You got saved. Then when He came into your heart and redeemed you, He began to heal what sin had done to you. And as you came to know Him, He began to set you apart and sanctify you. And now... Once you have been sanctified and you're walking with God, that's when you experience 24-7 peace. One leads to the next, which leads to the next. It's sequential. You can't have one without the other. Jehovah Jesus. Can you say that with me? I'm not going to be sacrilegious here, but somebody sent me a little deal and said, if you're looking for a name for Turning Point Coffee, why don't you call it Jehovah Java? <laughs> Well, that's funny, and I, and I laughed. I did. I laughed. I said, sure as I put that up there, I get a lot of heat over that. And we're not going to do that because the, the name, but Jehovah Java, I got a kick out of that. And see, some of you, you're looking at me like, you ought not say that. But Jehovah Jesus, that's real. Okay? That's where we're going with this na these, these names now because Jesus has become all these names to us. Gideon's name for Jehovah finds its fullest expression and realization in the New Testament, where God is repeatedly called the God of peace in the New Testament, the God of peace. Jesus is, within his own person, perfect peace. He speaks of my peace. Remember when he said that all the time? My peace. He said to his disciples, my peace I give to you. You can't give what you don't have. My peace I give to you. And then he also said, these things I have spoken to you that in me, in me, you might have peace, shalom. In me, you would have peace. Even in his sufferings, Jesus carried himself or within himself perfect repose of spirit. He never lost his cool, never lost his peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, promised in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Before Jesus was born, Zacharias the father of John the Baptist, announced Jesus as the day spring from on high who had visited his people to guide our feet into the way of peace. And at his birth, the angels sang, what they sing? Peace on earth. Can you believe it's almost Christmas again? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. So when Jesus arrived, it was all about shalom. Not just a good feeling, but rightness with God and peace that results from rightness with God. Jesus also preached and promised peace. He often said to those that he had healed, say it with me, go in peace. His first words to his disciples after rising from the dead are, 
peace be to you. Simon Peter's first message to the Gentiles was the preaching of peace by Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear as to how we are to receive this peace. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No other way, not any, none, zip, zero, nada, none. Are you going to get God's peace until you put faith in Jesus Christ and the blood covers you and God's issue with the sin in your life is settled? Then you have peace with God and then you have the peace of God. Paul tells us in another place, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. But we daily experience that peace from God according to the measure of our sanctification to him and our continued trust in him. Now hear me, because the whole, this whole message now is coming down to this. In Colossians 3.15, he tells us we are to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And in Romans 8, we're commanded to be spiritually minded, which will lead to life and peace. You cannot know the peace of God unless you allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify your life. It's going to be sporadic at best. You'll have, you'll have peace here, peace there, a little bit here, a little bit there, salt and pepper. Maybe peace on Sunday or peace on a particularly good day. But we will never, never walk in the steady Jehovah Shalom, the peace. We will not know him as our ever-present peace until we have first met Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Jireh, I was redeemed. Jehovah Rothi, he begins to restore my soul. Jehovah Makedesh, he sets me apart from the world, sets me apart from a sinful, carnal, fleshly lifestyle, removes me from that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And as we cooperate with the sanctification process, that's when we know God's peace. Are y'all hearing me? You're not going to have one without the other. They are sequential. You've got to know him as the sanctifier. Have you noticed in your own walk with God that uh, when you obey him, you're flooded with peace? Have you noticed that when you kick against him and decide to do it your way, the peace leaves? You get your way, but not without peace. Not with his peace, rather. Uh, you know, so the whole idea is, as I cooperate with God, I experience more and more and more peace. And, and so Jehovah Makedesh precedes Jehovah Shalom. And that's the way he revealed himself. You got to be redeemed to experience his re restoration from sin, from the, from the effects of sin. And then you've got to be uh, redeemed to experience that sanctification process. And you've got to be sanctified to walk in his peace on a daily basis. That's just the way that it works. We're learning something tonight. Paul prays that the God of peace himself will sanctify us. You see the order? That he will sanctify us completely, body, soul, and spirit. Notice he says, the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, wants to sanctify you. The message of Jehovah Shalom is that we have peace 
solely through God. Jesus is to us the peace of God. There is no hope of peace apart from him, either for individuals or nations. First, righteousness, then peace is the divine order. Look what Isaiah wrote. The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Righteousness, then peace. Imputed righteousness, where he says, I put my righteousness on you, and imparted righteousness, when you in your own personal life begin to obey God's word. There is imputed and there is imparted. Imputed, God says you're righteous. Imparted, the Holy Ghost says, now let's work righteousness into you. And as he works righteousness into you, you experience more and more Jehovah Shalom. That's why some people say, Christianity didn't work for me. Nah, that's a lie. Christianity wasn't tried and found wanting. It was found difficult and not tried. Because if you'll, if you'll cooperate with God's sanctification, you'll have the peace of God. Let's stand together, can we? Read this last part with me, would you? Peace may be had only by reconciliation with God through the blood of Christ, who is the Jehovah Shalom of the New Testament. And next week, we're going to look at Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. You know, um, I've been pastoring almost 25 years. That's hard for me to believe. What year did we start? 83? 82? So, long time. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot. The underbelly of the church, Christianity sort of uh, in the raw. I mean, I've really seen American Christianity. And what we like is we like for God to give us the peace without the sanctification. Let me have my cake and eat it too. I want one foot in the world, one foot in the gospel. But the thing is, it, it will never work. You've got to let the Holy Spirit set you aside. When he says, don't want you in that any, anymore. Others may, but you cannot. And I've noticed this. Let me close with this too. I've noticed this as well. The longer you go on in God, the tighter it gets. <laughs> because that sanctifier is pulling in the reins and saying, a year ago, I let you get by with it. Not now. <clears throat> Why? He wants us to be partakers of his holiness, without which we won't see him. So cooperate with Jehovah Makedesh, and you'll experience Jehovah Shalom. Father, we just thank you for the word tonight, and we thank you, Lord, that you are leading us in that narrow road that leads to such life and peace, quietness, calmness, joy. We just thank you for that. Lord, help us to embrace that sanctification process so that we can experience the peace that passes all understanding. Now I want you to take a minute and say, Lord, if there's anywhere in my life where I need to cooperate with Jehovah Makedesh, 
show me because I want to know your peace. I want to know your peace. Take a minute and just pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.